It's nice to be on campus again, isn't it? As we're, man, as we're like kind of post-COVID world and like rebuilding the ministry as we've like sent out a bunch of pioneering efforts and we're getting to just kind of rebuild the presence on campus here. We just, we just love being uh, in this space. And so the, we will be at Joe's next week because of the chili cook-off. The university doesn't really love us eating chili in their classrooms and liabilities with food and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to go to Everyday Joe's next week, but we're going to be here every, pretty much every week outside of next week. So this is really going to be our space. So if you're inviting your friends, if you're hanging out with people, if you're just grabbing dinner before, just know this is where we will we'll be week to week. But we're continuing this series looking at kind of the core values in, in our faith and and we talk about it uh, as KPR, as kingdom relationships, that personal walk with Jesus, and responsibility. Responsibility is what Christine was talking about. But I have the privilege tonight to talk about that personal walk with Jesus, that P. Well, you know, I was thinking about when I was a young man, I had this, this moment where I really felt the Lord spoke to me. And it wasn't just some kind of like, you know, altar time moments, or there were no tears. I wasn't even thinking, I don't think I was even praying. I was doing homework, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Nate, I'm going to send you into missions after you go to, after you graduate from high school. And and I was like, what? I was I, mean, I had been praying, God, kind of, where do I go to college? I was looking at, like, Oregon State, and I was looking at University of Idaho, and I was looking at these different places, and I had been kind of praying in my in my prayer life about where I was going to go. And the Lord said, I want you to actually give this year to me. And actually, in Chi Alpha, we call this like give a year. Uh, give a year, pray about a lifetime. You have a unique moment right after college where you have an opportunity sometimes to, to actually give a year just devoted into a ministry activity. Even if you're called to be an engineer and called to be an accountant, praise God for that. But there's often this unique moment that you get right after college where you have an opportunity to really lean into what does it look like to do ministry, even as that flushes out in the marketplace is with local churches and all kinds of other things. It's a beautiful moment you can use. And I was kind of like that. God, I, I was like the first give a year. It was before I even found Chi Alpha. And the Lord said, I want you to give this year to missions, and then you're going to go to college, but then after two years, you're going to transfer schools. It was very, very specific. And I was like, God, where am I going to do that? What is That doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? And the Lord said, Denver. And he said, and you're going to go to Colorado for college after two years. It's very specific. So I was like, that makes no sense. Missionaries are people who have kind of exotic uh, tables and crazy stories at my church, you know, that talk about the, you know, the wild places they've gone. Denver doesn't seem like a mission field to me. I don't understand what's going on. I'm like, God, you have to figure that out. Sometime later, I went to school, and just this random day, the Lord spoke to me. He said, Nate, you have to pray. I want you to pray today. I want you to pray tomorrow. I want you to pray the next day. I want you to go to your church building. I want you to go to your sanctuary. I want you to just pray. And I went to school, actually, there at, at this Christian school there, and so I was, it was accessible. But he's like, I want you to pray these three days. I'm like, God, I don't have time for that. So I'm a you know, senior. I'm going. I'm on a football team for the public school. I'm doing all kinds of random stuff. I'm the closing whatever manager at Dairy Queen. Ooh, that was a big shot. You know, like, I'm, I'm just like, I got a lot to do, God. I don't have time for that. And Lord's like, you have time if you make time. And I'm telling you, you have to make time. And I was like, okay. So I prayed the first day, 
thinking I'm going to have this like profound revelation. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, some kind of angel's going to appear. I don't know. Something's going to happen. Something cool. It was, it was like I was praying to the wall. Okay, so I went the next day and I started. I prayed. Nothing. The third day, I actually cut it short. I was like, God, what is the deal here? I don't understand. I'm wasting all this time to like pray, but you're not even speaking to me. I don't understand what's going on. And it was that night. I was actually, it was, I went to football practice, I came back, I went to just my regular rhythm, I was going to my youth group, met on Wednesday nights, and I showed up to my church, and they had the buses, loading kids in the buses, and they were like, we're, we're doing this thing with all the youth groups in our town tonight, so I'm like, okay, whatever, I'll see my friends, I'll hang out, whatever, I don't care, so we go, and they have a great service, they have these people sharing their testimonies, and different things are happening, and after the end of the service, they had just a short time of prayer, and I'm sitting in the back, I'm sitting in my chair, I'm thinking about getting up soon and going to see my friends in the back who've already left. And all of a sudden I see this guy walking up the front, walking from the front. He was one of the guys that was speaking that night. And he walked up, he kind of passed by a bunch of people trying to talk with him. And he walks past him, he walks up the aisle, he walks right up to me and he says, what's your name? I said, Nathaniel. Uh, if you didn't know my real name, is actually Nathaniel. Um, and, and... Uh, there's there's a little underground uh, revolt here. They're trying to change my name back to that with the staff, but but um, we'll see. But <laughs> yeah, but I was basically like, okay, um, yeah, my name, you know, and who are you? And he said, when I was on stage tonight, the Lord said, see that guy back there in the very back? He's like, you have to talk to him. It's like I don't know why, but we have to grab lunch tomorrow. Okay. And, <laughs> All right, so we next day we grab lunch. I'm like, and he, I he doesn't. He's like, what does the Lord want you to do with your life? I'm like, well, looking at going to college here or there. He's like, no, what is the Lord speaking to you? I wish I could talk to him now because there was clearly something the Lord had told him that was like he was digging. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't, you know, my short simple answers. He just wouldn't like be satisfied with. He kept digging deeper. He's like, what? No, there's something the Lord's telling you. And I was like, I've never told anyone this. It's just wacky. But I have this word for the Lord. And and he says, well, have you ever heard of this organization called YWAM? It's called Youth with a Mission. It's this it's this international organization that that works with people right out of high school to right out of college. And it's a missions movement. And interestingly, I would find out later, Chi Alpha and YWAM have uh, the same origin story. Um and so we have very similar backgrounds with Chi Alpha. But, but at that time, I didn't know who they were. I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Uh, I guess I can do missions that way. Like, but I'm supposed to do this in Denver. Denver. They're like, well, we don't send you overseas right away. We do training with you. And we have this significant base in Denver, Colorado. And as soon as he said that, the Lord said, that's what I've been working on. I needed you to get to this moment. And, and so I did. I ended up going to YWAM. From there, I ended up going to the University of Idaho, and after two years, the Lord said, hey, remember that thing? We're not done. You got to go. And I'm like, really? We're still on this? And he's like, yep. I'm like, okay. And I ended up transferring schools to the University of Northern Colorado. I'd seen Chi Alpha at the University of Idaho. I was part of crew uh, at, U of, at U of I. I love them, but, but I was like, God, I'd like to check out Chi Alpha if there's one there at UNC. Turned out there was only one Chi Alpha in the whole state at that time. It was at UNC. So what's interesting is now you can you can you know 
write all that off however you want to or however you think about those things. But in my heart, in my spirit, in my walk with the Lord, I know there was this direct connection. The Lord, there was just this pressure. I kept trying to fight the Lord for like the, those three days. I was like, God, I don't have time. I don't want to. I don't know why. Just what is the deal? And the Lord's like, you need to pray. Because when I prayed, there was, there was this battle that was being fought for my future. I would dare to say if I didn't pray during that time, I don't know if we would be here tonight together in this space. But there was a trajectory of my life that needed to be fought for. You know, when we talk about Christianity and living out our faith, we talk about uh, prayer and reading the Bible. Those are the two things we all know that we're supposed to do. It's the thing that we all are told. If you ever grew up going to church at all, you probably heard that in Sunday school. You know, read your Bible, pray every day. There was some kind of tune to that thing. But, you know, it was just the idea of like, yeah, you're supposed to pray. But, but I would argue that for most Christians, we don't have a great understanding of the why. We don't have a great sense of what we're trying to accomplish. We know we're supposed to do it. And, and we might have some kind of vague sense of like, well, I'm supposed to like be connecting to my God. And that would be true. But what is prayer doing that, caught, that does that? Are you trying to somehow inform an ignorant God about your day? So God, I you know, went to class. I, he's like, I know I was there. And, and then afterwards, I had this conversation with this person. Yeah, I was, I was there. Right, like it's not like you're trying to inform God about something he doesn't know, or are you trying to like convince him, a benevolent God, convince him to do something he doesn't want to do? Dear God, please move in the world. Yeah, yeah. I've been waiting for you. Yes, I want to. Why are we praying? And is it no wonder that we so often in our faith in Christianity feel like, yes, I, I know I should, but I don't feel the motivation to do it because I'm not even really sure what I'm trying to do in prayer. I know I'm trying to connect to God, but, but I don't even know how to go about it. How am I connecting to God? And so I want to spend just a little bit of time tonight looking at that a little bit. I think about like we, we love the idea we talk about having a mind in love with God. And, and we talk about these old ODGs, old dead guys, old dead girls. Go down, get some books, go with your small group leader, find something to read through this semester. You know, if you're going to spend thousands and thousands of dollars through textbooks, uh, to get through your education, you should. It's good. It's worth it. It's like get three bucks to read something that's actually going to feed and grow your soul along the way. But, but I think about these ODGs. One guy is his name's E.M. Bounds, yeah. and great author on prayer. He says this: What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. The church is looking for better methods, later he would say. God is looking for better men. Now, of course, he's just kind of this old old writer. When he says men, it's a generic term in the context of the time of you know men and women, right? So people of prayer, people of God, seeking his face. Another one, Leonard Ravenhill, famous Revivalist preacher says, No man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizations, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail. 
I just read these quotes from these ODGs, man. It's just like it's better than I can do. But but the last guy I think about is Charles Spurgeon. If you don't know Charles Spurgeon, he was considered the greatest orator of his days, greatest orator of his time. And he said, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach, being the greatest preacher of his time. And so what is it about the great patriarchs, the great people of faith throughout history, that they have constantly leaned into this idea of how essential, how critical, how life-altering prayer is, and yet we so often struggle to do anything but pray. And so I want to just kind of look at, you know, for you know, 40 minutes, it's like I'm going to really break down you know, the depths of prayer for you. Like, no, I mean, at, the problem when we talk about some of these concepts is I'm in fear sometimes of oversimplifying things to the point of, of confusion or, you know, not being able to explain everything in the way that each of you in every context need to hear it or understand it. And so, yes, there's going to be things I say, you're like, I don't know if I understand that or get that or agree with that. And that's okay. I'm just trying to kind of stir the pot in these settings, right? I want to stir the conversation. If you take this, like, yeah, that was a good sermon, Nate, great, move on with your life. It doesn't really accomplish anything. If you go away and, like, I don't know, talk to somebody, talk to your small group leader, discuss it in your weekly meeting, talk about it in your one-on-one, actually play with prayer, try prayer, then something maybe is worth our time. And so I want to just kind of look at, but the way I'm going to kind of break this down as best I can is talking about the idea of, of prayer through kind of in, out, and up. In, out, and up. So in tonight, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? John 17, 20, I'm going to read the same passage we read last week, but it says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that they would, that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so... One thing I want to just kind of ask is we talk about this idea of having this personal relationship with Jesus. And I might ask you tonight, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And a lot of people in this room, and I guarantee not everybody is a follower of Jesus. And that's great. We love people on, on the journey. But pretty much everybody who says, oh, I'm a Christian, would probably say, yes, I have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's, that would be just kind of common language in Christianity. And yet I would kind of challenge that idea just a little bit. Yes, you're a follower of Jesus. Yes, you're a Christian. But do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? I think about a soldier who is in an army and they have a commander. Now, they may obey that commander. They may serve that commander. They may die at the commands and the obedience and the service of that commander. Does that mean that they have a personal relationship with their commander? No. It does mean that they're a good soldier. But when we talk about, like, on the university, so often, you know, we, we go out there as a staff. We go out there all the time. We're talking to people. And I love, you know, I love trying to connect with people because we're trying to connect people into our community. We're trying to draw them in. But oftentimes, students just aren't there yet. So I'm not even just trying to, like, draw them into community. I'm just trying to have a conversation. I'm just trying to stir the conversation with them. In that moment, for that five-minute walk down the I'll, I'll tell them, like, hey, I'm a campus minister. If you want to run, it's okay. No big deal. But, like, <laughs> oh, no, they found me. But, you know, right? my headphones, I have, I'm listening to something. Um, but, you know, but honestly, I'll be honest, the vast majority of the time, if you're just nice about it, if you're just considerate, 
people want to talk about this stuff. I mean, honestly, I get, yeah, sure, I can get rejected with guys, but so often they're just like engaging and, and wanting to talk about because they don't have anybody really pressing that faith conversation. And so, and so I'm talking with students all the time. And, and the ones, I often get these students, and I'm like, yeah, what are your thoughts on God? Or what's been your journey in college with faith? And, and they'll say, oh, I, I believe in God. I believe, yeah. yeah okay, well, like, like the Christian God or some other kind of idea? Like, oh, yeah, I think Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I believe that. Okay. It, like, they're kind of like telling me, like, it's, like, they're trying to appease me somehow or something. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, cool. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, what are you doing with that? And they're like, oh, nothing. And honestly, then if if, they, if you say that to me, then I'll be a little bit harsh on you. At least the guy who's like, yeah, I just don't know what I think. Or I'm just not really sure. At least they're being honest and real. The guy who's like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And I'm not doing anything about it is actively slapping the idea of faith in his, in his life. He's slapping Jesus in the face. He's saying, I know you died for me. And I'm doing nothing about it. They're like, oh, yeah, I believe, as if that matters. I'm like, so what? James in the Bible says, yeah, even the demons believe. <laughs> good, what good it does them. Right? But so there's, there's those people who are like, yeah, I don't, I just don't know what I believe. I just don't know. I'm not sure I want to try to journey through that. And I, I at least respect the facts that they're, like, wrestling with that. The ones who are like, yeah, I believe. I don't want to do anything about it. Like, um, okay, guys. Seriously. <laughs> but, but then there's... Those of us who would say that we are following Jesus, that we are obeying Jesus. I think about in Romans 10, 9, Paul, who would write these letters to his friends, and he'd write much of the New Testament, but most of them are letters. But then he wrote this letter to the Romans, and it was way more of what we would call a, a theology. It was a systematic, it was almost like one of your textbooks. It was like he was like trying to break down the theology of faith. And he says in Romans 10, 9, he says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so, you know what's interesting there is like, he's, he's just saying, hey, lordship is so critical that like a lot of people come into faith like, yeah, I want to be, I want a savior, but I don't want a Lord. That's the guy who's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus and uh, I don't want to do anything about it. He doesn't want a Lord he wants a savior, maybe, but he doesn't want a lord. And Paul's like, no, you have to have the lordship and and recognizing, sure, you need to believe what he did for you. And that's where you find that salvation, but it's in that lordship. It's in that surrender to him as the commander of your life, the, the lord, the gods, the king of your life, that you find this obedience. Jesus, at the end of Matthew, says, I'm with you always, but go and teach them everything I have commanded you. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Like, Jesus' command, our relationship with God starts with, oftentimes, a lordship relationship. It's like that soldier to their commander. And it's a good relationship. It's a great relationship. I'm not minimizing that idea, that fact. But I am saying, when Jesus here in John 17, he's like, may they be in us as I am in you. That Jesus' relationship with the Father is the baseline, is the definition of what he's striving for. Let me tell you, it's a lot more than just obedience. It wasn't less than lordship, but it was more than just lordship. Yes, Jesus surrendered to whatever his Father wanted, but it was so much more than that. That's why there's a heaven and a hell, because in eternity... 
heaven is just the drawing closer and closer in obedience to that lordship. Like, if you don't, if you don't want to surrender to him now, why do you think you're going to want to surrender to him in an eternity that is going closer and closer, further and further into that surrender and obedience into that relationship? And so God gives us a choice. But, but Jesus would tell his disciples later, he's like, I call you servants, but now I'm calling you friends. Right? As a disciple, they were servants. They were obeying. They were learning. They were growing. But they didn't necessarily have that personal relationship with Jesus. He's like, no, now things are changing. Now I call you friends. Because while lordship is a great foundation for the relationship with a creator God, it's not the end. It's not even the ultimate goal. It's a, it's a criteria to get into that place of intimacy with God. But it's not just obedience for obedience sake. It's obedience so we can get to that place of intimacy with God. That when we say we have a personal relationship with Jesus, we are talking about this idea that there is so much more. And yeah, you can wait till heaven if you want to. I think there's, honestly, I think there's great, incredible men and women of faith that I would say, I don't know if they have a personal relationship with God, but boy, they are incredible at surrender to the obedience and the service and the, and the lordship of God. He is their commander. They'll die for him. I don't know if they ever actually have that intimacy with him. They, there's this relationship. They'll talk to him, but they don't expect that he'll talk back. There's, this, there's no kind of life to the relationship in and of itself, yet they're looking forward to that day. But I think God says, hey, there's, you can do that today. It goes further into eternity, but it starts today. And prayer is this conduit where, where we can learn to draw into that. But does your prayer life have waiting on the Lord? Does your prayer life stop and stop saying, God, here are my wishes, and here are my things I did today. But you actually press into this place of saying, God, we're just going to stop and listen and wait on you. Do we press into that place of past our mind, past where our mind, you know, our mind needs to know that God is there? Yeah. Recognize his his omnipresence. It's kind of this big word that we'll use for that kind of idea. But yes, we need to recognize that. But in that, we need to then take our mind sometimes and set it aside for a moment and then press past what our mind intellectually knows and press into that place where our spirit is communing with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, you know, in our circles, we'll use words like, you know, baptism, the Holy Spirit, this, this one you know, idea of, of seeing that interaction starting to develop and starting to grow in your life. You know, but but that aside, and we'll actually have a dig in later this semester. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit and you know all kinds of questions and thoughts and what's the deal with healing and you know tongues is weird and all kinds of you know stuff like that with gifts and all that stuff. We will get into all that stuff if you want to. But but the idea of of when I'm just communing with the Holy Spirit, when I'm in this place of like in prayer, saying God, I don't know, but I. No, you do. I don't understand, but you understand. I don't have enough. I'm leaning into you. And yeah, I'm spending my life obeying, just learning to grow in my obedience to you. But I need this connection. Jesus spent his life obeying his Father, and because of that, he needed constantly to run out into the mountain to just pray. And it wasn't prayer because, hey, God, I need help. It was prayer because he's like, I need you. I need you. And do you feel that sense of connection to your God? Because it's there. And we can grow into that. Seeking the Lord. Seeking the Holy Spirit. Seeking to like draw closer in the intimacy with him.
So do we press in to God? The second one is pressing out. So do you partner with God? Do you partner with God? And one of the things that is kind of, and this is really where, like, I'll be honest, guys, I'll just, full disclosure, there is a whole lot of different thoughts, opinions, and views on this. Um, so what I might say here, this is really my interpretation of things. I'm just doing my best to tell you what I have found is so critical to me. And if you disagree or you're like, I don't know if I've ever heard this kind of thinking or whatever, that's okay. I, I get the conversation. I'm just kind of stirring the conversation a little bit. But let me ask this. Does God get what he wants? Does God get what he wants? You know, it's an interesting idea, but but there's a lot of theologians who would say no. A lot of Christians theologians, and I would tend to agree with them often, that God doesn't always get what he wants. Often doesn't get what he wants. Mark 14, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, it's not my will, but yours be done. He says, my will, I don't want to go to the cross. But not my will, your will. What does he do? He goes to the cross. So at least to Jesus, at least in his humanity, he didn't get everything he wanted. But he obeyed. I think about the times where, like in 1 Timothy 2.4, God, uh, Paul says, wants everyone to be saved. But we know that's not true. That's not what happens in the world. Or you think about even, maybe to be a little jabby or lighthearted, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 Paul again says, he says, God desires that you all avoid sexual immorality, but you think that every Christian throughout all of time have always avoided sexual immorality? So how does that work? And I know it gets into all kinds of things about God's sovereignty and the goodness of God and all that, but what we begin to recognize is that that there is this idea of one, will is a is a sort of a discombobulating concept. When we say will, it assumes there's a singular concept of what God desires. But you know, I didn't have dinner tonight. I have a desire to go to McDonald's right now and just get like a really bad cheeseburger. And I also desire to live healthy, and so I desire not to do that. And I desire to talk to you and to press in this, these ideas into your life. And so guess what? I'm not at McDonald's, and I'm here. Why? Because I don't have a will. I have all kinds of competing desires, wishes, and, and ambitions, and wills, if you will. And I think God is very similar. That, that he desires this, yes, but not at the cost of other things. We think about like this, this concept gets very close to what we talk about when we talk about the problem of pain and like how is a good God in a world of human suffering. And honestly, in high philosophy, they don't even really touch that question anymore because it's, it's, it's a non-starter for, for the debate on whether God exists or not because they have so found, the Christian philosopher has so been able to argue well the idea that like it, it has to be that way because to oversimplify a much more complex conversation, in a simplified version, you have to realize that for love, to exist for relationship for that personal relationship with God for that to exist there has to be choice you cannot have love without choice and without choice you do not you cannot have the opportunity well you require the opportunity for people to choose otherwise and so and so if you have this situation where God says I desire this for you but not at the cost of desiring 
to have a relationship with you. But that higher will of God is to actually desire to give you the choice. You think about in the garden how God gives humanity from the beginning of his relationship with Adam and Eve, that story. Genesis 1 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in numbers. All the married people say, Amen. Amen. Fill the earth and subdue it. Yeah, I know. There's not very many of us anymore. Rule over the fish of the sea. There's more coming, I think. I don't know. You guys talk in post-post. I don't know. We'll see. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Look around the room. It's like, hey, you're cool. What's going on? Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. Some of you guys are blushing. What's going on? Wow. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And then you jump over to Genesis 2, and God gives them the garden, and he says, take care of this, tend it, care for it, advance it to the ends of the earth. And there's this idea, sometimes it's kind of called the dominion concept in Scripture, but it's this idea that God gave not just you freedom in your own self, but he also gave you authority in this world. And so when people like, Alvin Plantinga, or even C.S. Lewis, or, or other people, what they call, what they say is basically nonsense is still nonsense. Just because you add God at the end of whatever sentence doesn't make it workable, true, or possible. God cannot both give you the world and say, this is how it's going to be run. Now, now it has to be one or the other. And so here's God, and he, and he puts humanity into this situation, in the in the biology of the world, and depending on if you're you know, young earth, old earth, whatever, you might see how, how that looked differently. But the chaos, there was some chaos outside the garden. And this garden was supposed to be this place of beauty, of perfection, of God's will being exercised in the biology of the earth. And it was supposed to advance through the human narrative. Instead, humanity rejected it. And in came the chaos that was outside of the garden and came in to our story. Instead of our story advancing the beauty of God's nature into the world. But God made us what sometimes is called temple theology, which is the idea of just understanding the narrative of God's redemption through the lens of the temple, which was this part of God's story. And that's a whole different conversation. But, but it's really beautiful imagery when we kind of look at the redemption story through the idea of the temple, and, and commentators have often made notes that the garden story is it's like a temple. Like the garden is this temple. It's this place where heaven and earth are coming together, and Adam and Eve are acting like the priests. They're, the, they're these people that are supposed to be taking this beauty of God and advancing it out into the world. And so in, in prayer... We see this idea of God saying, hey, you were meant to be priests. The New Testament calls you a temple. He calls you a holy priesthood, which was this reference to Israel's Old Testament idea that Israel was this people that were supposed to be priests to the world. And so you're supposed to be this place where the beauty, the order, the nature, the character of God is expressing itself out of you, through you. That's why we talk about responsibility is like miracle grow for your faith. Because it grows the garden in you when you suddenly use, or you're taking your part to advance God's kingdom, the garden, into the world. 
that the garden is flowing through you. You are the place where heaven and earth come together. They connect. And that's, and that's through your work in the world, through your surrender and obedience to the Lordship of Christ, through the intimacy of that friendship and connection with your God, that you become this place where the rest of the world can connect to the divine. Ezekiel 22.30 is a really interesting passage, though. He said, I looked for someone. This is God talking through the prophet Ezekiel. He said, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one, so I will pour out my wrath upon them. And what what God is actually saying in this passage is he's using the metaphor of, of you know, if there was an army outside of a city and there was a gap in that wall for the city, you would have to have somebody to stand in that gap to, to guard against, you know, the war. And God is using himself. He's saying, I don't want to have to throw out my judgment on this earth, on this people, on this city. But I need someone to step in the gap and there's no one. It's the opposite story. It's the reverse story of what actually happens with Moses. If you know in the Exodus story, God's like, hey, Israel, they keep screwing this up. I'm going to have to judge them. Moses says, please don't, Lord, and God relents. Why? Because Moses stood in the gap. He stood in that gap. In this story, God's like, there was no one that I could look to to stand in the gap. That this idea suggests that there is a partnership happening in our faith. That God is actually leaning on you. As you're learning to lean on God, that, that God always made work because it's in supporting each other, in helping each other towards a common mission that you have to draw close to each other along the way. The responsibility draws you close to your God. And God's like, I want to redeem the world. You know, this week we were, we were doing, a, yesterday, we were doing a, a prayer tent. We call it a spiritual reading stand, and I know it's, that's always an interesting concept. But to culture, the popular culture, it's actually more clear what we're doing than actually saying just a prayer tent. But but we're basically going in there, and we just take whoever wants to get prayer, we just say, hey, we're just going to pray, ask the Lord. We believe in a God who speaks and loves you, has countless thoughts about you, and we're just going to take a moment and see if the Lord would share something with us, and we share that with them. And we had, I think Zach and Corey had somebody crying, you know, by the time we got done. And, you know, we had, we had some really cool things going on. But, but you know, the interesting thing about, that kind of prayer is kind of using like a prophetic expression, if you will, is, is you can't do that. <laughs> you can't just make that up, right? You know, and I was, I was shoveling my driveway yesterday morning at like 8 a.m. And I'm like, it's like zero degrees. And I'm like, are we really, are we really going to do this today? Like, we're really going to go out in the plaza and set up this tent and like, you know, Knowing that a lot of people aren't going to come, you know, get prayer because it's just cold and we're going to put a heater in there, but, you know, who cares? And like, like, I'm like, really going to do this? But I came to this conclusion, we're going to get to minister to more people if we do it than if we don't. So might as well do it. And so, and so we went out there and yeah, sure. Most, there was a lot fewer people that we got to pray for than we would typically see, but we got to pray for a lot of people. It was really cool. And and the thing was, is like that kind of prayer, like that kind of prophetic prayer, you can't do that. You can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to like read, you know, read the, the deep parts of who you are. I, I, 
there's, we have a million stories, but I always love the one that Lindsay tells about a couple years ago or a year or something ago where she's, she was out there and there was a, a guy from the school paper that came over and was kind of interviewing us, what was going on. And, and he's like, it's kind of cool. It's really cool. Like, like, could I come back maybe later after I'm done with, with work and, and get prayed for? And like, they were like, yeah, sure. And so they were like wrapping up the tents and all of a sudden this kid comes running up. And so, and so Lindsay goes in there and prays for him. And, and she has this word from the Lord. She feels like the Lord is telling her, um, tell him, I'm pretty sure I've got this right, but it's like, tell him, um, I'm greater than Pharaoh's right hand. What? That's weird. No, that's, you know, what kind of mummy movie did I watch last week? I don't like, you know, like, what is that? So she's like, no, like, no, but the Holy Spirit's like, no, tell him. Okay, you know, it's kind of those awkward moments, right? You're like, uh, so she does. She's just like, hey, uh, I, you know, we don't be like, thus saith the Lord. This, we just say, you know, does this make sense to you? You know, sometimes, you know, I'm learning how to hear from the Lord too. And I'm just, you know, but I felt like this was maybe from the Lord. And the guy's eyes got real wide. And he was like, actually, I'm part of a group that worships these kind of like ancient deities. And we worship Pharaoh's right hand. And God's like, I am greater than Pharaoh's right hand. Now, you can't do that. You can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to choose to, like, you know, read the deeper inner parts of their life. Like, but you, but guess what? If we didn't go out there to pray for people, guess what? They wouldn't have had that encounter with God either. There's, an, there's a partnership that happens. And if you don't step out in love and in faith and actively pursue the kingdom of God, if you don't step in the gap for that person, no, there's not always going to be somebody. God's looking for somebody. And in prayer, God is looking for you to step into the gap and pray for your friends, to minister to your campus, to seek the Lord's will. The kingdom come, as Jesus said. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Which is Jesus literally, the premise of what he's saying is your will is not being done on this earth. Your kingdom is not here. But if we pray, then maybe something, something would change. And so, and so we see that in our prayer, there is power in intercession. We say, God, may your kingdom come to my friend's life, to my campus, to my world, especially you guys as students when you pray, because this is your world. This is your campus. This is your dominion, if you will. And when you say, God, I'm as a priest, I am inviting you into this space. I am inviting you into this world. Would you move as only you can move? God suddenly is like, that's what I've been waiting for. That's what I've been waiting for. I've been looking for an opportunity. I've been looking for somebody to step in the gap if they would only have prayed. All right, last. We'll keep this one a little shorter, but up. Do you give God the glory? Do you give God the glory? There's this old creed, the old creed, which is, you know, creeds are, are these ideas that early church would often try to encapsulate the idea of what our faith is um, in a simplistic kind of way so that you could kind of comprehend it all at once, right? Instead of like, I'll read the whole Bible and kind of get the whole picture. It was like, okay, the simplified concept of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And they would say that the purpose of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so the question that often comes to my mind with this is like, are you, are you glorifying God in your life? And as a priest, you're not just going 
here, where you're supposed to be expressing God's character. Yeah, and even sometimes even power, but love and truth and, and the God's heart into the world. But you're then supposed to be taking everything in your life and giving it back to him, back to him in worship. That's why worship is so powerful, not that singing songs. I mean, songs themselves have a certain power for sure, but it's those help us tether to that deeper idea that it's, it's that worship, it's that surrender. Right? And whether we do it for the Lord or with the Lord, am I taking it and am I giving it to God? Honestly, kind of a side story, kind of funny. We, we Last week when we were in here, we were kind of noticing, it was like, oh, uh, the doors are all locked. So we got a hold of the university this week. Like, hey, can you guys unlock the doors? Uh, we thought we had a confirmation for this room. Turned out, we found out yesterday afternoon, uh, we didn't have a confirmation. We don't have a, well, we do now, but we don't have a confirmation. Uh, we didn't last week. We used the room, apparently, uh, illegally, but um, we didn't know that. It was completely ignorant. And, and they were like, you have to send in a new request with new information that we didn't have from the other one. And it's typically a two-week process. And Zach was panicking, like calling multiple times. And he was calling me. And then I was calling university. And we were like, and literally, I went to bed. I didn't, you know, I lost a little sleep, to be honest. But I just felt, and I told a few students, or a few people, I said, would you guys just pray? I feel like we're supposed to pray. Like, I don't know. You know, what's going on? We've been trying to do this for two months, trying to get this reservation, and we're grateful for the university to give us the space because, you know, it's, running a ministry like this is expensive, and, and Joe's, you know, was probably a third of our budget for a semester, and so they, the university gives this to us for free. So it really, it really kind of helped us with where we're at there. But, but we were just, you know, and we love just being present in this space on the university. But, but it was just like two months, and we were just struggling to try to get the university to just give us the confirmation give us the what and i just i even this morning i was like god i don't know if we're even gonna have a space they're trying to give us this other space and it was like this will not work at all like we're just not gonna be able to do it and i just kept feeling the lord say just pray you need to pray pray specifically pray for that administrator that he would just and and you know we got the confirmation at noon today and there was part of me that just wanted to be like, cool, one of like literally 50 things that needs to like, I need to not be stressing about right now. So just like check off, try and move on to the next. But I stopped myself and I was like, God, thank you. And, and whether or not you think, you know, the Holy Spirit somehow like, you know, convicted some administrator or just logistically they finally kind of got it worked out with us whatever but my response to what was going on in my life was gratitude to surrender i spend oftentimes my evenings my prayer walk i'll prayer walk around the campus if i can if it's not too cold or i'll prayer walk around my neighborhood <laughs> anyway but but i often do that when the kids go to bed and i just i'll often just kind of say god i give you this that i did today i had that conversation with the guy and I know I was just using a lot of my wisdom and experience and history, and I think it was good. I think I, you know, I think I was doing it for you, but I give it to you. Thank you, thank you for that experience. Thank you that I could help them in some way. And God, I needed you in that space, and I feel like you were really there. And God, I, I thank you for that. I surrender that. I worship you for that. And I give back because otherwise you become a stopgap. You're always meant to be this funnel flowing back and forth both ways. If you stop, 
you know, when it fills up, you have to, it has to go somewhere. That glory, that pride, it becomes pride. And it fills you up. But you're not made for that, and you, you, become, you become so inflated that everything can pop your, your pride. So they talk about the fragile pride, you know, us dudes, right? How, you know, don't, our fragile pride, right? Because you're blowing yourself up, and it's a fragile thing because you were always meant to be that funnel, and you haven't learned how to let go. And so you're filling up with the glory that was meant to be your priesthood, giving it to God. And so are you worshiping God in your life? In prayer, are you giving him your life? Are you giving him what you did? Are you saying, God, this is where I can't control it, and I just can't hold on to this, so you have to take care of it. I'll do my part. I'll do what you've called me to do, but I can't control this. You have to do that part. And where am I saying, God, this was, this was the good things in my life, and the good things happening, I surrender those to you. Are we acting as priests, the place where heaven and earth are connected and abiding, acting out our humanity ultimately? Because that was the narrative of how God transformed the human story in the garden, was a story of calling us into a priesthood. I think about, lastly here, N.T. Wright, who's this New Testament scholar. He says, God chose the human race to be the priests of all creation, offering up creation's worship to him and bringing his wise order to it. When humans sinned, God chose the nation of Israel to be the priests of the human race, offering up human praise and putting into operation God's solution to the problem of sin. Israel herself, however, was sinful. God chose a family of priests, the son of Aaron, to be the priests to the nation of the priests. The priests themselves failed in their task. So God sent his own son to be both priest and sacrifice. The inverted pyramid of priesthood gets narrower and narrower until it reaches one point. And the point is Jesus on the cross. The sacrifice of Jesus is the moment when the human race, in the person of a single man, offers itself fully to the creator. And the idea here is that in prayer, we say, God, you have redeemed me. You have created me. You have loved me. And my calling in this humanity, I have lost my humanity because I've lost the calling, the purpose for what I was made for. But if I would draw near to you as my true priest, maybe I would begin to learn what it's like to once again live in that place of surrender to you and worship in response to you in partnership with you because you have so chosen in your mercy to partner with me. And we do that in prayer. So what we're going to do for just a little bit, we're not going to take a lot of time here, but I do want to just take a little time. If you're with, if you have your small group tonight, go and get with your small group. If you're, if you don't have a small group or you're not with your small group, just, just grab somebody near you or get together with a few people near you. But I just want to invite you guys to say, hey, just prayer for each other. Like what, what can we do to act, you know, Aaron, the Levites, were priests to the priests, to the nation of Israel. And oftentimes we need to act as priests to each other. And so if there's just, you know, it, you know, don't feel like, no pressure here. If you, know, if you don't have anything or nothing you particularly want prayer for, that's okay. You can move on. But, but I want to just invite you guys to spend a little time tonight and just say, hey, what can we pray for? And get together, not in big groups. You know, we're not, we're not going to spend all night here, but just... You know, for the next, you know, 10, 
15 minutes. You know, if some of you guys go long, that's fine. You can stay as long as you want tonight, but we'll kind of wrap up here in, in just a little bit. But but just take a few minutes. So, you know, three, maybe four of you, but just get together and say, hey, what, what can we pray for? And, and I'm talking like quick, just be real short, like, hey, this is just kind of what's going on. And then have one or two of you just, just pray over that person and then and then see if there's any, any other prayer requests. And just act out that moment of saying, God, I'm standing in the gap. I never want you to say what you had to say to Ezekiel about my friends, about my community, about my campus. Because I want to step in the gap. And I want to be that place where heaven and earth are fighting alongside each other and we're seeing the kingdom of God advanced because I'm stepping into that place of surrender. I'm stepping into that priesthood. Okay? And if you're kind of you know, not used to praying in public, that's okay. I'm not looking for anything eloquent. I'm not. In fact, if you're too eloquent, guys, small group leaders, slap them over the back of the head. I'm not looking for something well. Like if you're sitting there just reciting some kind of like, oh, that would be a good word. Like just, No, just be in the moment. Just love each other in that way. Does that make sense? All right, let's get together. Get together, two or three, four of you. I'll close this off here in in a few minutes. So.